Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Drifter Sympathy on Feral Audio. Go to feralaudio.com and click Shop Amazon to shop through their Amazon portal. Proceeds support this and other Feral Audio podcasts. My entire life changed. I was going from classroom to classroom in seventh grade, and I was essentially a normal kid. I was listening to the radio a lot because my mom grounded me. George Michael Faith was like massive. I think Beach Boys Kokomo was hitting pretty hard. You know that moment where the school bell rings and you transfer from class to class and you just walk a couple doors down. And as I hit the hallway... And I turned, my friend Derek Eads, who was already playing guitar, took out his Walkman and said, listen to this. And he just stuck the one earphone in one of my ears, and all I heard was... And then he sang, the music stopped... It was just Robert Plant's voice, nothing happening. And then. It seems strange because that's like meat and potatoes rock to most people, I suppose. But like the the interchange of the riff being so meandering and then everyone stopping and then the voice and then it picking back up with all these like changes. It struck me as so insanely creative. Like, you know, just like with one headphone in my ear, I just thought, why am I listening to any buddy in school like why am I doing any of this shit like that's where the genius is right it seems like such a typical song but it seemed totally atypical it seemed really really unusual and really uh sent from some divine creative force you know or something were you a part of the Columbia Tape Club I was a Columbia Compact Disc guy 
Do you know what I'm talking about? The yeah. Pe- like you, it's like a penny a tape. I think our age difference is very slight. Because I definitely bought cassettes growing up, but by the time I was like in high school, it was CDs. I'm pretty sure that the deal was like, you know, you get like your first nine tapes free or something if you just pay the flat fee right. to be a part of it. I'm not Was really that sure. the one where like, and it was like, sometimes it would like have all those stamps. Like they would have stamps with like the album cover on it and you just kind of paste them on this thing and mail it in. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of leafed through the thing and I was like, none of this looks good. I don't need any of this music. You hear it everywhere. Right. You know, down at the ice cream shop, you're going to hear your Eddie monies. I don't need that. But I was like, Led Zeppelin, that's a spiritual shining beacon of truth. I'll just order the entire catalog. I used to go over to the kid's house that melted down on acid and his mother called me on the answering machine message. And we both joined the tape club and we both ordered all the leads up and stuff. And we, we were spiritually anointed. I definitely remember the first time I was riding the back of my mom's car on like a long car ride. And I distinctly remember she had pulled over. <laughs> I don't know why this is so funny. She had pulled over to a fish hatchery. Suffering from the deep pangs of boredom that you feel in the back of a car on an eight-hour drive through Georgia. And my mom would let me control the stereo, so I put in my Led Zeppelin tape, and I remember hearing... the guitar actually sounds like it's melting sort of yeah i was just like looking out the window and i was like oh this is what drugs are this is what drug music is like the impressionism of being able to like paint a painting but take out all the rock music like rock music doesn't have to be rock music rock music can be anything it wants to be and here's somebody jimmy page who knows the power of total freedom Like, I remember hearing that being like, you can do anything you want. I've been having these flashbacks to the mythology of high school and and high school as, as a world unto itself and all the kind of high school legends. Each school, I'm sure, has all the same legends. There's these things that you whisper about in the hallway essentially because you're trapped in a cage and you're wildly bored. It's the mythology of your your small community. There was a particularly gruesome tale about this girl that kept contracting STDs, and her name was Olivia. And I don't know if she had chlamydia, but because it rhymed, you know, everybody called her Olivia Chlamydia. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, I guess she has it. I don't know. Or maybe it's just convenient rhyme. But <laughs> I was I was in my friend's house that, that we burnt down just before it burned down. And we were smoking out of bongs. And you know what happens when, the, when you do that. You get super high. Yes. I'm well aware. <laughs> you know that state of mind where you're just like super bleary-eyed high like the world is just a cartoon nothing's really real all you can hope to do now is just go recover and sleep it off and i heard the dog barking outside i like peeked through the the blinds and i saw a girl and a guy kind of trying to get in the fence of this house that eventually burned down and they, she's yelling something at the house. I'm like, what is going on? Like, clearly this is a crackhead situation. And I, like, kind of crack the door open. And I look out. And she's like, hey, y'all got a condom? And I squint my eyes, impossibly high. I squint my eyes. And I'm like, that's Olivia. I never actually believed the legend about her STDs. But this is years later. 
I'm insufferably high, peeking out these blinds, and there she is, coming up to my random buddy's house, begging me for a condom, with what looks to be a completely random dude she found in the ghetto minutes before, who's just, like, behind her waiting. Although, the fact that she did want to find a condom, to me, if she really didn't care, she'd be like, eh, whatever. Essentially, high school is like being locked inside the German occupation of France. Like, you're just like, you don't know who you can trust. Right. You're running from the law. Like, nothing is what it seems. Like, it's just, it's a paranoid, terrible atmosphere. It was always weirder to me, like, kids who weren't interested in drugs in high school. Because I'm like, dude, like, this is like, there's nothing else to do. Like, now is, like, the most curious part of your life. Like, now I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah. That's what's so beautiful about it is you're, like, you're essentially a blank piece of paper. Everything is imprinting on you. Like, the sorority girl neighbor across the street that drives you to school because she's just within your proximity is, like influencing you somehow. Right. Like you're having weird conversations on the way to school. I remember her being like, I see who you've been hanging out with and you shouldn't hang out with those kids. I was the kind of kid that wanted to jump around at the lunch tables. I wanted to just like know what everybody thought. I didn't want to just sit at one table, you know? And so I'd start getting calls from the punks at my home. Like, we saw who you were talking to the other day. Like, you can't talk to them right. anymore. You know, shit like that. You're being codified by all these experiences. People are trying to, like, put you in your designated category. We all know that a meal is best when the ingredients are high quality. Blue Apron works directly with farms to secure the freshest, sustainable ingredients, pre-portioned so there's no guesswork, and sends them along with easy-to-follow recipes. Packages stay refrigerated for a full day, so you don't have to worry about being home for the delivery. It's a great way to try new meals without a lot of stress. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash email. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash E-M-I-L. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I had this girl who I was totally obsessed with in high school. I was kind of like a weirdo. She was like much more popular, like super pretty, but uh, was really, really nice to me. And I remember like we had this weird routine where we would sort of meet and I would like walk her to science class. Like I never dated, like never anything sexual, but like we would have this thing. And to me, it was awesome. I was like, I get to walk this hot girl to class. And like, I have like two minutes whenever where we get to hang out. I don't know how it started happening. And then we were friends on Facebook, I guess, and we lost touch. I would kind of periodically like look at her page, like maybe one, like once a year, just like, oh, I wonder, you know, almost like as a habit of being like 15, like, let me check in on this person. And I went and there were all these comments being like, she, she had died. And all these people were sort of like, oh, I just heard, I'm so sorry. And it's like, I was like, oh man. So I went online and tried to figure it out. I was like, I wonder what happened and couldn't really figure it out. Like, uh, which, you know, probably there's a reason for that. Like who knows what happened, but it, you know, probably not something good. And so she had this, like, you know, you can have, when you die now, you have like a virtual guest book where it's like people, almost like a guest book at a funeral where it's like, um, you can write your messages in it. Like so-and-so is so great. Like blah, blah, blah for the family, whatever. So, you know, I would read it and some people from my high school post stuff, some other people that know her later in life. And then the craziest part was like at the end of the guest book, it's like, okay, well this guest book is active. And it was like, I think it was tied into like the newspaper funeral home, something. And they were like, 
this guest book is up for a year and then after a year it's like whatever like 20 bucks or 50 bucks to keep it open and so there was this guest book for a year and then i went to check it and it had been over a year and they were like this guest book's closed and it was like wow that's this person's whole legacy is like there's maybe like three obituaries and then this guest book that it doesn't even really exist that like no one has maintained maybe no one you know and i was like and that's like sort of the mark you're leaving on the planet for the most part and it like really was i was like it like really affected me a lot like i was like really i was like i don't know why i couldn't i like couldn't like get over and i i don't know i think you grasped something very serious about life on earth it sounds cliche like the whole idea that like you don't leave much of a footprint and people don't really remember you for very long but like when you really get that when you really understand that talk about being a blank sheet of paper and being imprinted on that's a really powerful thing to understand when I was working in a homeless shelter there was this guy named Chris that was staying in one of the bunks and he appeared to be a total sweetheart and I really liked him the problem was I didn't want to move into being a case manager I really enjoyed working the front desk because I was on the floor with all the guys. So I kind of got the best part of the job because I didn't need to know exactly what they'd done, like with their rap sheet and stuff. Right. So I didn't know if I was talking to a, a child molester or a killer. I didn't know. All I knew was just their basic temperament and like our basic mutual rapport. So this guy, Chris, was like, he was just somehow... He seemed more sensitive than everybody else. He was super quiet. And his addiction, clearly he probably had a few, but his addiction would kind of take him over and he would just disappear like a like a dog that just ran away and then comes back days later and is just beat up and shit. And we had a good, good rapport and I went to lunch one day and I kind of saw him sitting on a, a bench in Portland, Oregon, just sitting on a bench and his, he looked like a fucking Chris Farley character like his glasses were like halfway on his head and shattered and he was covered in dirt and his hair was like sticking straight up this was a guy two days earlier looked totally normal and I'm like hey Chris and he's like you know he just nods like yeah this happens to me sometimes you know one day I was walking to the bathroom to do the rounds you have a log and you just like write that you've done the rounds every hour just to make sure nobody's like shooting up in the bathroom because you could see like blood trails on the ceiling where somebody secretly snuck in there and shot up or something and so I'm going towards the bathroom I look over and Chris is asleep and I like look at his face and I'm like pretty sure Chris is dead. It's a really strange experience because somebody's asleep, but you theorize he could be dead. He looks a little too peaceful or something. And and my eyes kind of like focused on his face a little closer. And I started to walk towards him and I was like, Chris is dead. The weirdest part about it is being alone with the person who was just alive. And then all of a sudden, the universe has put on you the responsibility of discovering the fact that that person has been literally erased from the world you know in that moment trying to be very specific about this emotion but it's like a feeling of like as of two minutes ago this person was on the earth their family is like yeah chris is having a hard time he's down at bunk 23 in the homeless shelter and and then in one micro moment you look at someone's face who's living and you blink your eyes and then you 
are the messenger to the world to say, this person has evaporated. That's a very weird kind of transference that happens. It's very hard to explain. But in that moment, when you grasped that death is a really pathetic affair in a lot of ways, like if you ever have to go through a dead person's belongings, it's like, it's basically a Tupperware tub of like some papers, a picture of a palm tree, like a fucking bucket and a hat. (laughs) I mean, that's what you own when you die. Life whittles you down to this kind of, essentially like a bit of a hobo because you don't, you can't possess anything anymore. You're at the end. The ability to remember that person eventually erodes, you know? Right. And the, and the sun comes back up and people go to work and eventually they forget who Chris is. It's almost like he never existed. I was like, well, you know, like when I die, there'll be, there'll be stuff. And then I was thinking about more as like, yeah, but it's like, that stuff will go away too. It's like what? Like, the, yeah, so there'll be an article on Noisy where people say nice stuff about me. <laughs> oh, God. And there'll be like some records that I played on that, like, you know, are sitting in someone's like a stack of seven inches somewhere. But it's like, what? Like, that stuff isn't permanent. Like, that stuff doesn't, that, and that's kind of like doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's the same thing as a digital obituary. Yeah, yeah it's the same thing. Eventually it gets deleted. Yeah. By. So this was just like, this to me was just like skipping all the extra steps. Like, all the extra clutter. Like, it was like, this is his record of this thing. It's up for a year. Now it's basically gone. And, like, that's pretty much it. I think it's a necessary, humbling realization. You kind of nailed it, actually, by, like, by saying, like, when I die, there'll be some stuff. But then you think about it. You say that to yourself out loud a couple more times. You're like, that evaporates the next day. Right, yeah. That goes out of print immediately. When I think about high school, I'm like, they don't teach you any of the stuff that you really would be useful. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I like, I'm sure, yes, there's some stuff like basic, like math skills and foreign languages are important, all that stuff. But I mean, like, they don't talk to you about any of that's like dying. They don't talk to you about any of those ideas. They don't talk to you like how to do your fucking taxes. Like, I look back and I feel like I have all these shortcomings and I'm like and I spent so much fucking time in school like I went every day for fucking what like 16 years I should know how to do everything after the uh, sorority girl stopped driving me to high school it must have been because I found a cooler friend with a car I actually really did kind of like her but uh, but this new friend of mine Tim started driving me to, to school in this crazy old boat of a Cadillac it was like shit brown I remember looking out my window and seeing him pull up every day to get me and I I loved this guy but I didn't know how to communicate that and I came off really bad as a, as a kid I was like uh, I came off super selfish like of course you're gonna drive me to school. Like you're gonna you're gonna wake up earlier and get in the shower and then drive over to my house first and then we're gonna to go to school. Like I, I came off as though I took it all for granted, but I secretly really loved this guy. It's just he had a lot of anxiety. I'm talking he could barely hold a conversation, so he was insanely quiet all the time. So you just figured there's some like either some really dark thoughts in this guy's head. Or he is slow, mentally. So we start our first straight-edge hardcore band, me and, me and my friend Nick, who's kind of missing in action. And we needed someone to draw the flyers. So you reach to your couple friends that are, like, artists and good at drawing. And it turned out that Tim was, like, a master. All this anxiety was going into these weird drawings that, that Tim would make at home at night. And so I'm like, Tim, you're the perfect guy. We need a logo and we need like a kind of vibe for the shows. Like we're going to start playing every weekend at the teen center. Tim's like, oh yeah, no problem. Here you go. You know, bam, 
starts slamming drawings out for me every week. I don't know if this was years later that I looked back and realized this while I was flipping through the flyers, but every flyer was a drawing of a young boy essentially killing himself. (laughs) And I was so into it because I was like, yeah, we need like a dark like drama vibe to this shit. You know, it's crucial. You know, it's life or death music, right? And like the whole time, I never really cared to put together that it's him to a T. Like in what methods? He's got dynamite all around him. He's looking straight at you and he's like about to light it, you know? I'm like, oh, dude, this is your best one yet. (laughs) (laughs) Never stopping to say, Tim, do you you want to talk? You know? What a beautiful guy, but how troubled was this kid really? The next one will be him like tied down to a railroad track and the train is coming or something. Are you serious? You have those nights where you're going to bed and you think, where the fuck is that guy? It's the same thing that made you want to look up that girl. You know, it's like, it's as though because you guys were in the shit together in the trenches of high school, it's almost like you're related. They're like you, you all know something about each other that's impossible to describe to someone now. I feel like saying goodbye to high school and saying goodbye to the Ron era is difficult for both of us. You know? Yes. I want to say it's harder for you. <laughs> I was in jazz band every day. It was a fucking class, which is hilarious. Our band teacher was essentially a genius, this guy named Joe Procopio. (laughs) And he was this small, little New York Jewish dude. He was extremely tough. I mean, he was like a sensei. You know, he was like really intense. But he decided he loved me at one point and started letting me get away with murder. But... I think he also was massively disappointed in me at the same time. He really drove the jazz band to like great heights, but it was brutal. He was extremely mean. You know, I mean, I wanted to quit playing drums every day because he'd just like kind of laugh at me in front of the class if I wasn't like playing well. And it was a really intense atmosphere, but my drumming partner in the jazz band was this guy named Alexi Rodriguez who actually ended up in prong. Really? Yeah, and I think they're called like Three Inches of Blood or something. Yeah, I've heard, I think they're a pretty popular band. He's been in a lot of bands. He's also in Catharsis, which was... Oh, dude, yeah. I love Catharsis. I saw them in high school a couple times. Well, then you've seen him play. Okay. I mean, I think I can say he was one of the best drummers in the country. Last time I saw Catharsis was in a basement in Ohio, and the singer got in girl's face. He's like, we should go bomb a bank. And the girl's like, bomb a bank? And he was like, you got a better idea? <laughs> oh, man. I went to junior high with Brian Dingledine. Really? Brian Dingledine was literally the first guy that came to school with ripped clothes and safety was pins. He, was he behind all the crime thing stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't know much about it. We lost touch. Um, but, you know, we were, we were in the shit together. I yeah. got my first four track, and I recorded... One of their first bands called Strict Nine. Honestly, these high school bands were as good as any band I've ever heard. And they were fucking creative. Like, Chapel High had a very weird, special moment where a lot of the guys went on to, like, not necessarily huge careers or anything, but they, you know, they infiltrated culture all in totally different directions. My main idols were definitely, Alexi was like, the way he played drums, I still rip it off every day. The way he attacked the drum set with a teenage rage, with amazing confidence. Like the way he would do rolls down the set and then back up inside of like any sort of funk song we had to play for jazz band and his face would get really red and he just fucking, he would just destroy the thing physically. And you watch him and you're like, he's either a genius or he personifies 
hardcore. He personifies the underground fucking movement. Like, this dude's a living embodiment of the spirit of just fucking expressing yourself with that kind of crazy hormonal rage that's happening. I still, to this day, imitate all those guys because they were pure forces, sonic forces, you know? One of my other big influences was, a lot of people know him, but is uh, Al Burian. You know, we just taped it going off track with him. Was he doing Burn Collector back then? No, 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 no. This is like early 90s. We would all play like Battle of the Bands in front of the school, like at the fucking football field. His first band was the greatest, shitty, perfect, political punk band in all of like Chapel history. And they were called the Celibate Commandos. They were perfect cliches, but like perfect. Jello Biafra was the most clear sort of political uh, voice in terms of hardcore that you could, I suppose, approximate or imitate. So they're fucking, oh man, their seven inches were hilarious. Like the, the first one is this crude cartoon of like a woman carrying her baby by McDonald's and an executive in McDonald's <laughs> giving her the finger. <laughs> It's like the most trite thing you can think of, but because he took it to such a perfect crystallized form, like he understood the form and certainly no one else pressed up a seven inch. This is the first kid that pressed up his own seven inches. I mean, I was like, holy Jesus Christ, what kind of courage does this take to just be like, yeah, I'm putting this down for all to see. so funny that this conversation has gone here because i played uh this talent show i was in a punk band called plug <laughs> makes sense we wanted something short a word uh and it was me and our drummer went to my high school but all the other guys went to different schools because it was like this was a period of time where like you'd have to hang out and you'd see someone with like a dead Kennedy's like a bad religion patch. And you'd be like, Oh, you're cool. Like there weren't a lot of people, especially in like the suburbs of Ohio into punk. So you would like piece together this band from kids from different schools who are all into this. And we played the talent show and started mosh pit and our singer spit on some people in the crowd. Afterwards, the principal was like, not only are you guys disqualified, we're never going to have another talent show at the school because of your band. And, Success. and I remember him thinking, like, this is going to really show these guys. And I remember being like, that's, we ended the talent show? That's fucking awesome. And it's so funny how, like, stuff like that can happen when you're younger, where you're like, you get in trouble, you either don't care or you think it's cool. And now I feel like I have so much anxiety about, like, every, I would be like, oh, my God, I'm so worried. Like, yeah. did I fu- is people going to be mad at me? And it's like, back then, like, shit would happen. You'd just be like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't care about anything. Your enemies and your your the skeptics around you are so easy to doubt. You're just yes. like, are you fucking kidding me, Mister Henderson? You know, I'm like, Dude, I'm not gonna. You're do incredibly you close to what his name. His name was it's was like an H E. Vanessa will know. Yeah, it was something really close to that.
in this theme of like late at night when you can't sleep and it's 6 a.m. and and you're just staring at the fan spinning and you're thinking back about all these people that you knew that have disappeared. There was this kid that would pick on me like every day and he was really rich and like the most popular boy. And I really weirdly liked him. I wanted him to like me essentially, I think because he was insanely popular in seventh grade. So I, I just thought, why is he picking on me? You know, it creates that tension where you, you would rather them like you. Right. And I remember seeing him some years later, not much later, maybe like the year I took off. I remember seeing him at a, at the mini mart down the street from my mom's house. And he looked kind of like a little sweaty and confused and was like, he's like, dude, what are you up to? And I'm like, you know, we've talked about this before, but like why it seems so weird when a bully is nice to you later in life. You're like, dude, fuck off. Like, (laughs) like I've got a life. I'm busy. Like I don't need to talk to you at a fucking gas station right now. And he like, Oh deed and died like right after that, which always felt strange to me, almost like it's scripted in a, in a twin Peaks show or something like they had to, this character had to die. I always felt like it was a shame. Like he, he was a sweet guy that got confused about how to receive love his family seemed pretty normal but somehow he just the way he engaged with other people was combat but i knew underneath for some reason even though he was terrible to me i knew that he was actually a a a pretty good guy or he had the potential to be i don't know why just like there was these weird glimmers where he'd be like i'm picking on you i'm picking on you hey do you want to come over and be like what why like so you can pick on me he's like no i'm just kind of letting my guard down and being vulnerable for a second and then back in school he try to destroy you again in this climate with these particular characters that were kind of divisive and scary or inspiring and creative there was one particular character that I still think about all the time. And, and when I tell this story, I'm not telling it with any sort of like sensationalism. I'm telling it because I think about him genuinely. And I, I guess I wish I could have done something when we were kids. Um, this kid was like a math champion. That's the way I remember it. And he turned into the star track runner at our high school. And um, he was definitively sweet, reliably sweet. Uh, we, we had a lot of classes together. And I actually used to go to his house to study with this little sister. And he started breaking state records. He started becoming like the North Carolina uh, track record holder and he was like he was kind of getting to a point where it looked like he could go into the olympics and shit and he essentially became the like michael jordan of our sports faculty at the high school strangely enough he even like shaved his head because all athletes there was that point where michael jordan just shaved his head like bald and all athletes that was like the thing to do like you just if you were serious you wanted to put on like an intimidating visage you shaved your fucking head bald so he did that i mean he just he turned into a machine he just became essentially a professional athlete but he was still in high school real quiet super shy the only thing i really remember about him outside of track was that he loved you too and I, I remember that was like uh his favorite like thing to run to <laughs> his headphones it's weird because we're going into this whole like idea of like how there's only a few details left about a person after they're erased off the earth by some force I suppose I went off to my first year of college and I came back on like the first spring break. This is, this is how I remember it. And my mom slapped down this newspaper. This is the second time I've told a story like this where she, you know, she fills me in on everything that's going on in the small town because small towns are fucking just hotbeds of gossip. My mom does this too. 
you're pulling up to the breakfast table and you're hungover, coming home from school, you're around all your old friends. Right. And the newspaper is just sitting there in front of you and she's like, oh, did you hear about this? And running me through all the local tragedies and shit. (laughs) On the fucking front of the paper is this picture of the track star. And, you know, I know him, so... When I look in his eyes in the picture, I can see him, his character, you know. But it was a horrible picture. I mean, like, the way that they had captured him was, you know, he had just he'd shaved his head like Michael Jordan. But the way they had captured him, they made him look like he'd shaved his head like, uh, like some sort of guy who's going to try to kill the president or something, you know. And he's, like, looking in the camera with this mixture of super fear and confusion so he looks distorted and like somehow it's it's perverting him the, the the way that they've captured this photo so my mom starts unfurling the tale of what everybody's talking about i mean everybody like it's it's the story for that that summer and essentially I want to say that I knew that something was wrong with the story, but the the simple facts were that along with the shaved head Michael Jordan trend, there was also a trend at that time, you know, this is like 1995, there was a trend where people would wear those medical scrubs. Do you remember that? Uh, not really. I remember wearing like gas station attendant shirts sure, okay. and that stuff, but not really medical scrubs as well. The medical scrubs, I don't know what was up with the medical scrubs thing. I think it was like, uh, it might have been workout clothes for s- somebody. The, the thing was, we were like, we lived right off the campuses of UNC Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels. So like, we had their hospital was like the best in the, in the state, you know? Okay. And so I don't know what he was doing over in Durham, but he essentially went to run and keep up, you know, he's just like doing his daily running ritual. Sure. And he went over to Duke forest and he was like running through the forest, you know, prestigious school, big medical program. And he's like, he happens to be wearing these medical scrubs as he's running. And Essentially, he ran out of the forest after his run was almost over, and he was greeted by cop cars and, like, drawn guns and tackled. He did not know what was going on. He was completely confused. I mean, like, a fucking, like, sacrificial lamb, truly. But they were very confused about who he was or what he'd done because he was wearing these medical scrubs. And I've read the story a few times online. There's a little bit left over from what happened, but it almost seems like it was like whitewashed. And it almost seems like it's been deleted in the same way you were talking about this obituary was. But you can look it up and it's kind of strange. It seems like another making a murder story or the night of where the witness that identified him as the villain it was like late at night that night and they were driven by him to try to identify who they'd seen and they pointed at him and said yeah that that was the guy and that essentially i guess is the whole reason he was put in prison is he was running out of the forest He was wearing these medical scrubs. What occurred in the woods was that a person also wearing medical scrubs, as far as I remember the story, had on like the Groucho Marx glasses and nose and maybe a wig. And they tied a couple to a tree and raped them. He runs out of the forest and they've got this tip that the person was in medical scrubs All they knew was that this person had probably had a disguise on. So when a guy comes running out of the forest with a shaved head and no disguise, but with medical scrubs, they're like, this is our guy. Right. That's all they had to go on. So they lock him away. Bam. Front fucking page of the paper. 
they essentially publicly told everybody we have your track star and they fucking milked the shit out of it oh i'm sure they loved it and we're all sitting there like man that doesn't sound like him on any level i mean what sounds like him is rigorously you know training right but you don't know, again, it's like the legend of the fucking schoolyard is kicking in and you just don't know what really happened. So you're kind of like hungover, making your plans for that night, reading through the story and you're like, I got to see where this is going to go. Like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. The picture of him is essentially condemning him and the headlines condemning him. And they let him out of prison and they let him live at home with a massive ankle bracelet on under house arrest so he literally can't even run on his own treadmill and by this point he's withered away he's lost all desire to live he's been destroyed and shamed socially and professionally and they finally clear him in the same stupid, like, Tuesday morning, a front page of the paper way. It's a footnote. It's like, local track star cleared. And then, he kills himself. I could be on tour in fucking Nashville. I don't know. I'm lying on some shitty futon on the floor. And I just think of him. Like, I just think of, like, this tale that existed inside of a matter of months and then a person was erased and it pretty much you know sold a few extra newspapers but here's this true modern witch hunt tale that happens right in front of you at your fucking high school basically and it's gone now it's becoming outdated on the internet itself i'll get these pangs where i'm just i'm just lying up i'm having trouble sleeping and I just think about him and I'm like, fuck, like, how can I tell this guy's story? They fucking destroyed somebody for no good reason. How can you expose this thing for people to learn from? It's a modern nightmare. And it's very important to know that it's happening right now, everywhere. Police are put under a pressure and you essentially, just like they say in the night of that show... You essentially have to go with the best option you have. And if someone comes jogging out of those woods with the wrong kind of clothes on, that prosecution lawyer is going to go to trial because they're feeling fucking good about this situation, you know? Somehow, like, the fact that he was successful just made them hungrier, you know, to, to tear him down. But it just makes me feel absolutely horrible about... uh watching someone just get pulled down and sacrificed for really no greater purpose. Betty came by on the way Said she had a word to say
said she prayed today for the sky to blow away or maybe stay she wasn't sure for when she thought of summer rain calling for the pain stayed for more gonna see the river man gonna tell him all I can about the band tells me all he knows about the world. 